Music, industry talk, stories, equipment and more. We are Crossfader and this is Off 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 Off, off the Record. Off the Record. Off the Record. What's up people? We're back again. It's Jamie Hartley here from Crossfader. This is the DJ post- podcast Off the Record and there's two more members of our team with us today. We've got Danny James. Hello. And we've got Oliver Livesey. Hello. Now you might not have heard or seen Oliver Livesey before, but he's an integral part of the team now here at Crossfader. He's our graphic designer. He does all of our design assets for our website, for our Instagram and all over. So you will have seen his work out there on the internet, but you might not have met him yet. So today's podcast, we're going to be talking deep because he's got some good insight and some good stories that he can share with us um, because, you know, he's brought something new to the table with a new label that he's launching as well. So we've got some interesting stuff to talk about with Oliver Livesey. But first, let's just catch up. So there's a few things new in the industry that we want to shout about and have a chat about. Number one, we've got a new piece of gear. It's the new Mark NS4FX. Mm. It's the new four-channel controller from Newmark that aims to take out the FLX6 by Pioneer DJ, from what I'm thinking. it's it comes in around £414, so it's a bit more than an entry-level controller price, but it's got those four channels. They're dubbing it as a professional DJ controller, but if you watch my review, there's sort of a crux to that because it has professional outputs on there, but it ships with entry-level software. So if you want to find out loads more about that controller, obviously check out our review over on our YouTube and our website. But let's have a chat about it. Danny, you've done a mix on it. I think you've got mixed feelings about yeah. it first. Um, I mean, I like it, like the layout and everything. It's just like a, a standard four-channel thing, you know, with the layers and stuff. And it, I think it was nice to like play on, but there was a few features that I just wasn't too keen on. The fader cuts... It was just my experience with it. It might be fine on someone else's computer. I don't really know, but there was a lot of glitching when I came to use the fader cuts on one channel. It was glitching the other deck on the right-hand side. Um, So for anyone that doesn't know, fader cuts, it's a performance mode on the controller that emulates sort of scratching techniques. So if you push a scratch sound while applying a fader cut, it, it, it cuts that sound up and makes it sound like a bit of a scratch. But, you know, it's one of those features that... I say in the review, it's it's not a necessity. It's a cool little feature to have fun with, but it's not a selling point of the controller. It's nice to see we've got four channels there. I'm always a bit dubious about does do, you know does a controller of that price or of that stature warrant four channels? Do you need four channels at that stage of your career? And especially when you've only got two decks, do you really need four channels? It's always a bit tricky to mix across four channels. I find yeah. um, when you've only got two decks where you've got to switch the layers. I get a bit confused. I don't know about you guys. Uh, yes, I think when it's like, like you say with the layers, that can be confusing because it's if it's not clear, I mean, on the Denon units, it's much more clear when you've got the colors around the edging, I think. Yeah. But like with the new Mark or other four channel controllers, it's sometimes a bit like, you can't really tell unless you look at the number on the screen, it's like you're on deck three or you're on deck four. It's Sometimes it can just be a bit like full on. But um, yeah, I think it was it was okay. I enjoyed it, but it's not like... I don't know. It's I. I wouldn't go rush to buy it myself personally. Yeah. Well, put it this way: it's the cheapest four can, four channel controller currently on the market. Mm. So if that's something that you're desperately wanting is four channels, and you want to save some money, then it is sort of one of the best options out there. Um, however, the FLX6 does come with Serata DJ Pro. The full it unlocks Serata DJ Pro when you plug it in, and you can also use it with Recordbox. So you definitely want to compare the two when thinking about making this choice, whether you purchase one or the other. Okay, so Livesey, have you ever played on four-channel controllers before? 
Um, I think I've played about on a few in the past, um, and I just I just get too confused. Yeah. With like the two faders, I'll be on like deck three, and then I'll put it down, and then it'll be actually deck one, and yeah. then yeah, it's so confusing. I'm just used to the traditional like actual four decks or four faders. I think yeah. it's tricky because a lot of DJs see some of their favorite DJs online now, and they're mixing with four decks, but you've got to remember they those DJs have four actual physical decks in front of them. So they don't have to switch layers. They can just move over and touch deck three or touch deck four to make a, an adjustment or to set a loop or to hit a hot cue. And I think as soon as you take away those two physical decks in front of you, but keep the four channels, it does start to get confusing. So it's actually, if you put a four channel controller with just two decks in front of one of those pro DJs, I guarantee they would struggle more than if they had their full four CDJ setup. Yeah. Guaranteed. I believe like it's its own art form in a sense as well. Even mixing with two channel uh, with like two faders with four channels rather than opposed to like having four channels and four decks. I feel like yeah. it's a lot harder. And yeah, you need a lot more practice to get good with that kind of setup. Yeah. So there we are, brand new controller just dropped on the market. Go check it out. We've got full review on our website and our YouTube. Um, moving on, we've also got another collaboration that I just want to mention, which we're really excited about. We've just partnered with Pirate Studios. Now, Pirate Studios, for anyone that doesn't know, is um, it's a physical studio space where you can rent out pro DJ studios to practice on a set of CDJs. Now they have different ones. They have ones with two CDJs in, ones with three CDJ setups in there. And it basically emulates what you would find in a club booth. And this is really, really useful for a lot of DJs because obviously if you're used to playing on a controller at home and you've just bagged your first gig, you're going to want to get used to how CDJs feel and, you know, just getting set up on them. So these spaces offer that opportunity and you can just rent them out by an hourly basis. Now, they're very popular in the UK. They're up and down all of the UK and they've got three sites in the US at the moment with more coming soon. And then they've got one in Germany and some in Ireland as well. So they're branching out globally. They're a really cool brand here in the UK. And we're excited to see that they're rolling out further around the world and providing this opportunity for people to get on the pro level equipment yeah. for obviously much cheaper than purchasing it. Um, but we've launched a partnership with them whereby... Um, we're offering a discount for any new members who want to you know, book into their studio. It's a 35% discount. Um, the code will be in the description of this podcast or you can just check out our social media posts. But also, more important than that, is we're starting some in-person live DJ workshops. Now, I'm super excited about this. Our first one at the time of recording this is going to be next week in our hometown of Leeds at our local studio. We're going to have about 30 people come down, DJs from around you know this area. And we're going to do some intermediate to advanced techniques. We're going to share some insight around how to approach our DJ sets, set curation, and then some tricks on the decks. And then everyone can break out into the separate DJ rooms and practice the techniques that are taught. And then it's also a great opportunity for people to network in the area. So, you know, DJs that don't know each other can come together at one of these workshops. And it's a great way of making new friends, making new connections and building up, you know, connections, which is all important in the DJ industry. It's a lot of the time, it's how people get gigs is off the back of who they meet. Yeah. So this is an opportunity for people to come together and really elevate that. Um me and Danny are going to be going down to the first one and then we're going to be rolling this out hopefully across the UK and hopefully beyond from there. Um, and we're going to do different ones. Some might be aimed at beginners, some might be aimed at those who already know how to DJ but want to take it further. So we're really excited about this partnership. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited to just 
getting in front of you know some of you that are listening to this podcast or watch our content or some of our customers that take our courses it's going to be great to get face to face and actually meet some of you finally um you know it's what's better than after everything that's gone on with covid is to actually now finally be able to get together and put on some awesome workshops and you know collaborate and see where it takes us yeah so, yeah Agreed. I'm excited for you guys to come and, and join in as well. So Danny's going to be filming at the event. We're going to be put, posting some of the um, content on social media. So you'll get to see, you know, what the vibe's like at these workshops. And then hopefully if you keep an eye out, one will be coming to a city near you soon. Yeah. Cool. Right, before we move on, later on in the podcast, we've got Lawrence James talking to 1001 Tracklist. We've got a little interview with them, which is super interesting. But before that... We want to get Livesey front and centre on this show today. Now, let me just explain. Livesey came on board with Crossfader last year when we were building our app and our whole new membership platform. He came on to do a lot of the design work, all the thumbnails that go on the website, all the design and branding that goes on the new website and helped us really launch the look and the feel and the new brand of, of Crossfader last year and moving on into this year. And he, he still works with us. He's still doing all of the design work that you see across all of our socials. But more importantly, what I really want to talk to Livesey about is his career because he has been a DJ, is a DJ, and also has been a fully-fledged artist and released music and played alongside some big names. So he's got a good story to tell and you know it's something that's actively growing at the moment and there's some cool things that we're going to talk about to do with the metaverse and NFTs and all those buzzwords that you're hearing at the moment. You know, Livesey's really interested in that and approaching it in a whole new way with this new record label that he set up. So let's get stuck into it. Livesey, do you want to just tell us a bit about just your intro into DJ and what got you started as a DJ and 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 just a bit of a backstory? Yeah, of course. So uh, yeah, I'm Olive Livesey, known as Livesey. Um, I've been in the industry for about 10 years now, maybe even a bit longer, 11 or 12. Um, my introduction was actually, because I feel like everyone's either a DJ or producer, my introduction was DJing, I think, when I was like 15. I just got in like loads of YouTube rabbit holes, watching loads of like Dead Mouse videos, um, loads of like EDM DJs, and I was just thinking that'd be cool. Send, I think, for my 16th birthday, I got a, a Reloop DJ controller, um, and was then that, was that with Serato? Did it work? Um, I think it was tra- Tractor. Was it cool? Yeah. Um, and then I used to do like loads of strange MIDI mappings. Like, I remember getting like something similar to this, like just a big fader thing, and doing some strange <laughs> MIDI mappings. Um, and then I threw some of my own gigs um, towards the end of high school. And then going towards like 17, 18, I started to get into production with Ableton Live. Um, and then, yeah, kept kept doing, kept producing, kept DJing. Um, to be fair, I started producing a bit more, focused on that. And then I remember like meeting you in Space Nightclub with a few other DJs and getting instantly inspired again because I feel like once you know how to DJ, it's kind of like monotonous in a sense of you're just mixing two tracks, but then like Jay, there were people like you, Jamie, whatnot, who like showed me a whole new direction. Like you can actually be really creative with DJing. So then, yeah. Um, cool. So then, did you, you said that you DJed first and then production came later. Did you always feel like you wanted to do something in music or was it a case of it, you just came across it and, and it inspired something creative in you or was it just, you know, did you go out there and actively look for DJing or did it find you? 
I suppose it would be a both. I mean, like when you're like 15, 16, you usually just, I don't know, you, you, you kind of don't have a path. And I was kind of like, my family, like, oh, you should be an architect or something cool, well paid, obviously. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be an architect. And then after, I think I went to my first gig when I was about 16. I remember going to high school, really tired next day. And I was like, Do you know what? I really want to be a DJ. Um, kind of a drastic change. But um, yeah, and then I kind of just pursued it after that. Nice. Um, so then moving on to producing, did you feel like you had to produce to level up your DJ career or was it a case of, you know, DJing, you, you needed more creativity or you wanted more out of music? What inspired you to take that leap? Because it's a big leap for people is to move from being a DJ into being a fully fledged producer as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, I remember like messing about with, I used to mess about with Fruity Loops years ago because I just love messing about with technology and new softwares. Um, and then with Ableton, it took me so long to get used to it. Um, but it was more a step of like, I want to be an artist that makes music and has music as well, just to be, I feel like, especially nowadays, you don't really get big off just DJing. There's, there's a few examples. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's mainly artist DJ and all the people I looked up to like Dead Mouse, like I mentioned before and people like that. Um, so it was more just to be that kind of, I was inspired by them kind of, art, kind of artists. Yeah. So I wanted to replicate that and make my own tracks. Um, and then eventually... Um, did you, did you um, what kind of music were you into at that time? Was, was was the music an inspiration for wanting to start producing as well? What, what yeah, did you so, first start producing? So it would a lot of dubstep, so it were like kind of the, I always call it like the UKF era, the blue speaker era, so it were all like the kind of, the first wobbly stuff. Um, so I were making that a lot, uh, but I wasn't very good at making it, so I just kind of kept stuff to myself. Um, and that was for like four or five years, and then I started moving toward... Kind of the stuff you'd call baseline now, but it's bad to call it more UK bass, where it's more like house, like 128 to 134 BPM, kind of like house drums, four to the floor, but then you've got kind of dubstep basses. Um, and then I kind of found my feet with production doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Did you, uh, throughout this time, did you, like, how did you learn? Was it just a case of trial and error? Did you, you know, have a tutor? Did you do anything online or was it a combination? Um, it was mainly a mixture, like 50, 50% trial and error and 50% just YouTube tutorials. Like nowadays there's so many good tutorials, but back then there were, I remember seeing so many like how to make a bass like Skrillex and it sounded nothing yeah. like Skrillex. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd say it's like 50-50 trial and error and YouTube tutorials. Nice. So do you feel like being a producer um, elevated your DJ career or did you feel like you really just, you know, DJing became a back burner and you really lent into music production more or did, did, did it really help your DJ career? Yeah, definitely. It makes me, um, definitely makes me think more when I'm DJing. They kind of go hand in hand so when I'm DJing. It's like if a, if a certain mashup goes well, it's like, oh, well, I could do that in my, in my production or maybe like make a bootleg. And then likewise, like when I'm, um, DJing, have I said that? Yeah. I'm losing my life. So when when you when you're producing, I'm guessing you're thinking about the club, you know, and the crowd at all times. Is that right? Yeah. Or yeah, are yeah. you are you just like making something, see what comes to you, and then try and curate it into a song that would work in a club? Both ways, to be fair. When I first started, it was more DJ oriented, but as I've like not grown up, but as I've like grown older, my I'd say I'm more matured. Sometimes I just make stuff for myself and stuff for home listening. So it's kind of like, I feel like I've got like two kind of se uh, 
split personalities now like either rave music or home listening music nice and then when was the first or what was the first track that you had released and how did that feel and, and was it self-released was it through a label um i think it was self-released it was actually a tune tune uh with my good friend um winter and a vocalist called harrison mead and i remember that getting played well you didn't get played massively in clubs but it were all the local clubs like space nightclub in Leeds and whatnot um, and it was a really good feeling but yeah that was just self-release got kind of f- f- back then to say I was just starting out it felt like a lot of love um, but yeah that was kind of like a d- good introduction to it yeah. all and then did you get have you had tracks released on labels since then? yeah so like I think when I first released that track it must have been about eight years ago but since then I've had tracks on like UKF Jaws's label Bite This uh, Conductor's label Kiwi um there's, there's probably loads more, but I can't think on top of my head. Yeah, that's amazing. What a journey. Um, and then obviously you're still actively producing now. How do you feel like your journey in music's changed from eight years ago on that first release? Do you listen to those first songs and cringe? Or do you feel like it's, you know, it was it was vital in your journey? How, how do you approach, you know, looking back on your career and looking at where you're at now and how does it affect your production now? Yeah, um, good question. So I feel like... I feel like it's inevitable to like look back, whether it's music or anything, and cringe at your past self. But then also, it's it's kind of like what you wanted to make and where you was at, at that time. So I always try look at it kind of like a timestamp in your life. I suppose like an old Instagram post, you look back and you get that nostalgia. So that's kind of like the the, the nice, the, the positive aspect of it. Um, yeah. I think you've got to think of it as like whatever you made back then has like made you to what you are now. Like, yeah, so you've literally. got to get the bad stuff out of the way to make good stuff. Yeah, it's all it's all part, part of the journey. Of and also sometimes I do get inspired because you're always, you're always forever changing as a person and I feel like it's good to look back then even if like the production value was terrible but it's always good to look back and like kind of go back to your roots and sometimes when you feel a bit lost it's good to go back and be like right this is, this is me in a sense or this is the root of me um, and then that can inspire like your future productions. Now, I know in the past you've done things where you've released like tracks every week. You've done things where you've dropped like 30 tracks in a pack at Christmas and things, something, you know, ridiculous like that. Now, obviously a lot of work goes into that. How, you know, just give paint a picture. Do some tracks, do you get them done in a day? Do some tracks take months? What's your usual process and, and does it just depend on where you're at in life? Yeah, pretty much. It's such like, I feel like creativity is such a random process. I remember seeing a tweet and it was like, you can't force creativity, it just knocks on the door and just like basically lets itself in. And I think that's it. Um, some tracks have taken, I remember one track taken me about five years to produce. Not like five years consistently, but it'd be keep going back and forth. And then like, I think most people know me for a track called Supersonic. That t- I think that took me about two hours to make. Yeah. So that's interesting there, that a song that took two hours of your time is probably one of the most well-known songs. Yeah. And I think that's something that any listener can take away from this, is that don't feel like the amount of time you put into something um, equals the, the quality that comes out of it. Mm. Sometimes, like you say, creativity flows, and that flow, that state of flow that you get in really can, you know, provide some gold. Um, and I think just as long as you lean into it, when you feel that flow coming, if you lean into it, then that's where the magic can really happen. Mm. Um, so then let's switch it back to being a DJ. Are there any notable moments in your career to this point that you can remember that you think, you know, that was an amazing moment in my DJ career? Um, can you talk about any of them? Any big gigs that you've played? <laughs> yeah, I mean, first and foremost, got to be my first gig, like everybody's always like hold a special place to you. Um, so I remember 
in school I did a thing called creative and media diploma and for the last like project you could there were certain things you could do but one was like do your own event and I think traditionally it'd be like do an arts kind of thing um, but I was just like could I run a mute like kind of a gig and it was like yeah as long as you do all like the legal stuff and make sure you know all your planning so I was like cool so I did my first gig sold tickets at school um, and that did really well and that were a really good event um, so there were that there was what kind of music was being played at that event at that time um, to be fair I, I did like dubstep and drum and bass set I got my friends to do like EDM sets I remember like I got my friends to do a warm up it was like deep house so kind of like a varied kind of yeah, yeah an eclectic mashup of music yeah yeah that's cool so the dubstep and drum and bass scene was it big at that time do you feel like that was like your forte or um I feel like I feel like it won it wasn't that big, but like, I feel like I was always known at school to be like the dubstep guy and like the, the weirdo like that weird music. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. I think that did well with that event because everyone like no one really gave it a chance. And then I remember after that gig, everyone messaged me like, "Oh my god, I actually love this music. It's so good." And I feel like, I feel like it made people understand the music a lot more because it is more rave music than home listening music. That's interesting. It's good perspective. Any other moments? Obviously, you've got your first gig. Definitely special to anyone, um, and some people listening probably have that same experience that they'll cherish that memory. Um, I'll just say from my first gig, it, it was very similar to yours. My first proper gig where we threw our own college party again. We sold tickets. Um, a lot of the time, it starts like that by you throwing your own party and DJing at your own party. Ultimately, um, but we threw a gig, and I just remember this euphoric feeling when, like the the cloud nine, when I got home after it, and I was just buzzing and I was so young at the time I was 16 at the time and I was just absolutely I'll never forget that feeling of being yeah. just on top of the world do you remember uh, what the first track you ever dropped was I don't know I don't know I still remember mine it was like a, a cookie monster remix of freestylers <laughs> and I remember like getting the everybody intense track. Yeah, yeah if you listen to it but I remember getting everybody to sit down and then jump up and like, oh my god this is so cool yeah. do you feel like that probably plays into you you, you end up you create a high and then you end up chasing that high a little bit. Yeah, I think that's where, like, without turning the topic, I feel like that with, obviously, mental health, like a lot of DJs do, it seems to correlate quite a lot, and I feel like that does tie into it because you're chasing a, a moment, uh, like a momentarily high, if that's the yeah, way you say it. Yeah. yeah, a moment, um, moment of... Uh, yeah. A, yeah. a crazy moment. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it doesn't happen all the time and it wouldn't really make sense to do DJ all your life. You know what I mean? You wake up, do a 24-hour set and I feel like, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting approach and something to think about is that, you know, are we are we all addicted to it? And is it a good addiction? I, I yeah. think, you know, there's a creative outlet to it. And then is this where, you know, it goes hand in hand with, like you say, with um, mental well-being and also just the way that you approach life, I think, mm. As a DJ, we're all very much treading this line of chasing this high, and I think it's an interesting way to look at it. So, moving on, next gigs. Are there any other big gigs that stood out to you? Yeah, um, I mean, the next one instantly was first time I played Creamfields, end of, uh, not end, like mid 2019 in August. Um, <clears throat> that was such like an amazing gig. Um, yeah. I remember being on fairly early and I was thinking like, there's not going to be that many people there. So, but it's like, I'm at Creamfields, like, do you know what I mean? I'm on the billing, like, it's just going to be good no matter what. And then like, I remember going onto my set, there weren't that many people looking down, just doing my thing. And then 10 minutes later, it's pretty much, well, not rammed, but it's very, very busy. Like, I remember turning around to like, you were there, weren't you? Yeah, and yeah I would, there was a lot of people there. Yeah, and good. I was just like, what's going on? Um, 
And to be fair, I've recorded that mix and put it on SoundCloud and that's kind of like a time capsule. And I listened to it the other day and it's just, yeah, good vibes. It's amazing to have that recorded and to look back on in 10 years time, 20 years time, yeah. just keep looking back on that moment. So how did that happen? Obviously, you didn't just like put, you know, put a mix out there and someone said, hey, come play at Creamfields. You yeah. know, what, what's the backstory to that? Did you have, you know, management at the time? Did you get booked because of your music that you were producing? You know, where did that come from? Yeah, so we're actually, um, <clears throat> my, my old manager who got me involved, um, shout out Mickey Slim. Yeah, I used to work with him quite a lot. Um, yeah, and he was, he was he's, um, his business partner at the time, managed Dead Mouse and Dead Mouse were doing his own stage. So then Mickey gave me a call like, oh, yeah, we've got his own stage at Creamfields. Do you want to play? And obviously, rhetorical question. Um, yeah. <laughs> so pretty much that's how it happened. Nice. So did you have any connections with Dead Mouse? Obviously, that's a huge name that everyone knows and, and is sort of... Um, you know, by association, you had some kind of connection there. Did you ever do anything on a music front with him? Did you ever have any connection with him or any anything else surrounding Dead Mouse? Um, so I've, I did like a radio show for him. I've done a few few graphic design bits. Um, but yeah, because it's, it's, he's such like a big guy, it's quite hard to get involved with yeah, directly. Course. So it was more just like through, did stuff for his label and through other people, did like live streams for his label. Um but yeah, that's about that. That's awesome. So being a creative, obviously you don't just make music, you make graphics, you make arts, and you do a lot of design work. Now, has that helped you in your career as well as a DJ, as a producer? Because has that opened up doors at times, you know, from clients? You know, I'm guessing you do a lot of work in the music industry as a designer as well as a musician. So has that helped in your yeah, career? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's helped me build contacts easily in terms of I've not really had to go out and be like, oh, hey, I'm a DJ, this and that. It's people come, like, I've had big, not big clients, but to me personally, I've had people I look up to come to me and be like, oh, hi, mate, want, like, a video or a piece of graphics doing? And I'm just like, yeah, of course. And then we've built, like, a kind of rapport and a working relationship from there. And then eventually down the line, I've been like, oh, yeah, here's some tracks, here's a mix. And then, yeah, it's just sometimes got bookings off it like label releases I've had label releases from like um, working with labels say like Crewcast for example I did a lot of um, graphic work for them and video work to start out with and uh, sent Joe who runs Crewcast a few tracks and then yeah released with him and, and they've been some of my biggest tracks Amazing. So it just goes to show that, you know, you might have other talents that, you know, are sidelined to DJing that you can harness and utilize to really aid in your career as a DJ as well. And I think that definitely goes for anything creative, you know, whether you're um, uh, a designer or a videographer or a photographer, there's all these other traits that, you know, people can have or skills that people can have that can really help elevate, you know, other parts of your creative journey. So it's great to hear it, you know, from yourself that it's, it's helped you. Now, obviously being a designer, is it, it, does it play a big part in how you release music? Does it play a big part in how you develop your, you know, marketing around music? I'd say it's, it's, it's like a double-edged sword. Obviously I've got full creative control with what I do, which is nice. Um, and it's not like I've got to rely on other people. So say if I've got a deadline, it's up to me then to do it, which I usually do like the assets straight away. And like if, if I rely on someone else and they miss the deadline, then it's not like a mess around. But then also obviously I've got to do it myself. So then that 
eats into my time making music so it's kind of like yeah yeah I, I yeah i understand that i think that's something to to bear in mind you've got to think okay if i'm going to make all the design work then i've got to allocate that time yeah as part of my production and the release and the you know i've got to think about the whole package yeah it's not just about making a song and then that song's going to do all the work i've got to dedicate time to the other aspects of yeah of definitely. being a producer as well so then moving forward, something really interesting that I'd love to talk about is you've just set up your own label. Now, forgive me if I, I don't paint the picture well here, I'll let you elaborate more, but you've just set up your own label. As we all know, Web 3.0 is blowing up at the moment. If you've not had someone reach out to you on Instagram trying to sell you an NFT, then <laughs> I don't know, you might have been hiding under a rock the last two years. Um, but you know these big words at the moment, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and the metaverse, and all of this stuff that's really playing into this whole new Web 3.0. Now, it's all exciting, it's interesting, and it's very prevalent in the music industry and the creative industry because especially NFTs are are providing an opportunity for artists to really take control of their music, their artwork, you know, the things that they create and really create community around it as well. And it allows the people that support those artists to go on the journey with them, with their art and their you know creatives it also means that if somebody releases something through an nft like an artist they can still earn like money and revenue and commission off that as that art grows so you know if an artist makes paints a picture and sells it for a hundred dollars and then five years down the line it goes for five million dollars they don't see any of that five million dollars traditionally whereas now with nfts that artist can get a cut of that five million dollars um, of their original art and this goes the same for music as well and i know there's a lot going on at the moment i've seen a lot on instagram i've seen a lot um, around the internet where people like diplo for example are releasing music and they're selling basically like shares of that music so you can buy mm. it's part of i think it's part of an nft if that's the right terminology for it but you buy a part of that music so you actually have like streaming rights to it so if that track gets you know 10 million streams and earns x amount you'll get a very very small portion of that for supporting in that initial stage so i hope i've painted a picture around web 3.0 and nfts and how that plays into artists on a really base level but lives did you want to explain a bit about your new label and your approach to it and i think it plays into the metaverse eventually and just you know you're geeking out about this stuff so share with people what you know and how it how it uh, you know affects what you're doing yeah so um i mean i started a label a few years ago and did really well um and then i just stopped it just because other commitments but i really like miss doing it so i wanted to start something new so i started this concept called millennium city um and it's basically it's going to it's starting small at the moment, but it's basically going to be like a city, like it says. Um, and every every release will be like a new building. So say, for example, my next release has got like two tracks, two garage tracks. I'm probably going to make like a sneaker shop. Um, I've got people like making other stuff, like maybe I've got a guy called Natty, calls himself Nando's, Nando's, probably make a chicken shop, just stuff like that. It's like all contributes to the city. Um, it's a digital city, by yeah, the way. Yeah, sorry, yeah, We're digital not- <laughs> city. Yeah, it's not, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my bad. But yeah, so I've been learning um, Unreal Engine, which is like a game engine, and I've got experience in like 3D design. So I've just been basically making like buildings um, for, for the moment. The first release is just like the introduction, introduction to Millennium City sign. And then next release is obviously other cities. Um, but yeah, and then with that, eventually, not right now because it's quite, it's obviously everyone's still learning, myself included, it's quite complex. I want to 
get it into the VR or metaverse so you can enter that city and say 50 releases in, we've got obviously got 50 buildings or monuments, you can walk about that city and go to like, say, if you like a song I released, like release 23, it's called Microphone, so to say, you can go to like the microphone building and just chill there. Maybe eventually I, I make like um, interactive stuff so you could like interact with a person of me um but yeah the possibilities are kind of endless which is exciting but also daunting because i do it all myself so i've got a lot of work but i'm just taking one like one step at a time have you found that it's exciting you know it's a whole new thing to learn and it's a whole new creative outlet to to engage with have you found it something that you've just when you first heard about it you think i need to be part of this i want to do something with it yeah, well, I've, I've been on and off. So, like, when NFTs first come about, start, or it start of lockdown, like, start of 2020, or it start 2021. Around that time. Yeah. yeah. In the last two years, yeah. they just exploded. So, I remember, like, looking at it, um, doing some deep research, but then it'd always be like, one day I'd be excited about it, one day I wouldn't, because obviously, like, everything, there's pros and cons. Um, but, yeah, with this kind of concept, like I said, uh, working at it one step at a time, I'm just going to do, focus on the like the community aspect rather than like oh I want to sell an NFT and make like a million pounds because like I'm not really too bothered about the money I just want to make like more of a community all the best NFTs I've seen like bought bought it yacht club and stuff is more thriving off community rather than profit yeah for sure and is that a big you know selling point of releasing music in this way is it something that we've not found before and is this going to allow for people who are interested in similar types of music to really come together by rallying around you know these digital worlds do you see that as the future is that the way that music's going to evolve possibly i'm not too sure it was just an idea i had but everybody seems to like really enjoy the concept so mm. we'll see how it goes um yeah like i'm excited for it but obviously you never know what the produce uh, future predicts so yeah. i'm just going one step at a time i think a good thing with these nfts where you can see it going is that it's like kind of cutting out labels as well which has been like a massive part of the industry for so long where the artists aren't getting paid as much as they should for all the work they put in like these labels are taking huge cuts and it's like now the whole nft thing is is direct to the artist and it's so i just think it's a really cool thing that's definitely something I want to implement. Like maybe you could own the building, which is essentially yeah. the song. Like you could, I could do like 10 shares of a building as NFTs. And then obviously the artist gets more support from that. Um, but yeah, there's so many like avenues. That's why it's exciting. There's so many avenues to go down because it's so new. You actually don't know where it's going to go. And even if it doesn't go anywhere, it's still a cool concept. Just having like your own building as the artwork. Mm. How do you communicate and find people to uh, release on your label? You know, where, where do these people come from? Our producers? Um, it's just me on Instagram, to be honest, because um, I'm, I'm mostly active on that uh, social platform. Just um, find, just following loads of people that interest me, inboxing them, um, asking them who their favorite producers are. It kind of branches from there, um, but it's basically just pesting people. <laughs> nice so yeah I mean just make sure you're putting good content out if you're a producer make sure you, you're shouting about your productions and sharing what you're doing because there's people like Livesey who you know are, are launching labels who are looking for artists to release and I think it all goes back to make sure you're sharing your content and shouting about what you do and who you are um, it's really interesting have you um, engaged with any other NFTs or, or got involved in the metaverse in any other way in the last two years 
Um, not really. I've just done a lot of research because um, it's such like a risk, new and risky thing. I've not really like bought any NFTs at the moment, but I do watch. I do like watching stuff and being nosy, like the nosy background neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how about you, Danny? Have you engaged with any, or are there any cool NFTs that you've seen that you'd think I'd love to buy a, a portion of that or something of like that? Yeah, just uh, I remember when Disclosure were doing all their live streams and lockdowns, they yeah. sold a few of their tunes. Um, I can't remember what the platform called. It's like Zora or something, but it was like yeah. it was just um, yeah, they were selling like parts of their tunes. And at the time, it was so new, I was like, I'm not really sure on this. But I mean, now that there's more around it, it is really really interesting. And I saw there's um, there's this guy who was a producer from London. He moved out to LA a few years ago. Um, I think he got signed by Skrillex or something. He's just this kid, and uh, he recently sold one of his tunes or part of his tunes for whatever in ethereum and it turned out to be like four hundred thousand dollars or something for like part of a song and he's like this is just something that would never be heard of in the past like yeah in any aspect and it's just it's just crazy to see what it's doing because it is like crazy amounts of money and it's just so much control over your music so it's really interesting i think that's the main thing of like i think the money side of it will fluctuate massively and mm. while it finds its feet at the moment, it's such a hot topic that people yeah. will pay whatever and they think it's the next big investment. And it might be. But I think the big thing comes back to, yes, creating community yeah. and having you know these things that people can really rally around and you know communicate around. And with the world the way it is, where we are all online and we can all build our own presence and build our own popularity, we can go viral overnight. You know, why did some artists have to give a lot of that away to another company just because... They're a record label, or just yeah. because you know they, they they need someone else. So it, it's that thing of bringing the power back to the individual and giving them the option. You know, this isn't just there's not just one way of doing things, but giving those artists an option to say, you know, I, I want to go about this myself, and I want to retain, you know, all my own um, art and and keep it within my own, you know, ecosystem. And um, I think there's a lot of exciting things to come from it. I'm definitely going to be reading a lot more about it and keeping an eye on it. I haven't, you know, dabbled in it, let's say, um, at all, but I'm definitely very intrigued by it. And I can see how it is so useful for artists in particular. Um, and I think it's this thing of finding that that balance of, you know, approaching it from that perspective. Because I know a lot of people because it's a hot topic at the moment, I'll think, well, I just do this and I sell it as an NFT and I make lots of money and they think of it from the money yeah. aspect. And like you were saying, Livesey, it's I think there's no longevity in that. And I think for Web 3.0 to really work and to to capture what people want from the future, it really needs to come back to community and you know taking control of your own art and moving forward that way. So super interesting. I'm really excited to see where it goes for you. Um, do you want to shout out where people can find out about you know what you're doing yeah uh, so you can have a follow on my personal um social media so it's just at lifts uk on all mainly instagram um tiktok and then l-i-v-s-e-y -E yeah uk yeah um and then on the instagram and soundcloud it's just millennium city um millennium underscore city underscore um and then yeah there's gonna be a lot more getting posted in the future that's awesome. So, as promised earlier on, we've also got an interview with 1001 Tracklists on this podcast. Now, Lawrence isn't with us in the studio today, but he caught up with um, the founder and CEO there at 1001 Tracklists. So, without further ado, let's get stuck in and listen to what their service is and why it's a cool service. Hey, dude. Hey, Lawrence. How's it going? I'm okay, man. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. How's things? Yeah, thanks for taking my call, man. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm glad to have you reach out. Where, you see you're based in uh, Bali, right? 
Yep. Nice, so it's uh, nice part evening of the world. for me here. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, we just wanted a, a chat because, you know, a lot of our kind of students always asking for track lists and things. And I came across your website maybe about a year ago and I've just found myself progressively using it over and over again. So we just thought we'd have a quick chat and just talk about the website in general and what you guys are doing and your plans, etc. if that's okay. Yep, sounds good. Cool. So do you want to start at the beginning? Why did you start 1001 Tracklist? How, how long has it been going? You know, what was the problem you were trying to solve, etc.? Yeah, so I will give you my story and yeah. also the company story Absolutely. kind of mixed together. So I discovered 1001 Tracklist back in 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. It was um, during the Ultra live stream. And I was just, uh, my, my, my roommate at the time, uh, pointed out the site to me and showed me that there's this site where you can kind of follow along as the sets are being played and, and you know, someone is IDing all the tracks. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool for music discovery. Yep. And also, instead of just going to YouTube or SoundCloud, you can go to this one platform that has all of the different sets available aggregated in one place. And so I used 1001 tracklists then for the next couple of years, just kind of as like a casual listener trying to figure out what some of the tracks were. And then I finished up grad school in 2014. And then I was working at an IT consulting firm in the US. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was pretty bored at my day job. They brought me on a little bit slowly. And I was just like looking for something else to do. And initially I filled a notebook, like filled with shit ideas. <laughs> and I decided I needed to not come up with my own idea, but maybe like uh, latch on to someone else's idea. Yeah. And I reached out to a couple of companies, one of which was 1001 Tracklist. And I just sent an email to info at 1001tracklist.com. And I basically said, like, I have a background in marketing. I work in IT. I've used your site for years, and I'd like to help you. And lo and behold, that, that kind of worked. That's cool. Um, yeah, the, the owner of the site is this German software, develop, German software developer named Jan, mm-hmm. the founder of the site. And he, at the time, was running everything single-handedly. And so I jumped on a call with him and then built a relationship with him over email and Skype. And I basically just kind of, upon seeing that it was just him and he was overwhelmed with, you know, the business plus the tech side of it, just really wanted to see if I could work my way in and kind of take on some of the responsibilities. And so it was me and Jacob, who's the person who originally showed me the site. We had just moved in together in DC and together we kind of tag teamed the business side of it. And one thing led to another. And about a year after first contacting Jan, he decided that he wanted us to take over the business responsibilities pretty much entirely. Cool. And so from there, it was a lot of uh, guessing and figuring things out along the way and just kind of seeing what we can do to, to grow the platform. Uh, to go back to one of your questions about like how the site came to exist. Yep. So Jan is a, a database expert, as you might be able to tell. Yeah. Um, he was working uh, developing like point of sale systems, like the the you know the payment systems at like grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And in 1999, he went to Ibiza for the first time and discovered dance music and his <laughs> love changed, for dance music. Changed him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he you know would look for trackless on the internet at the time, but there wasn't really a good place for it. A lot of them were being posted in kind of like Reddit like forums. Yeah, forums, yeah. And so someone would post, you know, whatever tracks they knew, and then there was no way to actually like update the track list. And so he figured, oh, I can do this. 
and he didn't realize it was going to be such a complex undertaking. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, just started building it and here we are today. That was in 2011 that he launched the initial version of it. Mm -hmm. And he knew that he wanted it to be like a user generated content platform. And so in order to generate a little bit of buzz and, and, you know, have like users on the platform, he actually created a bunch of fake usernames that were all him all right. just to make it seem just like there's a lot of people involved in doing it. And then eventually he opened it up to, to real other people. That's dope. So let's fast forward to today, sort of talk us through, you know, kind of how it works and the basis of 1001 Tracklist, how you go about finding them, you know, who uploads them, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, you know, it would be really nice if we could use, for example, like audio fingerprinting, mm -hmm. but it's not so reliable in yeah. electronic music sure. because, you know, there's so many unreleased tracks that are being played or edits and mashups of multiple tracks. Right. And so the best system is if you have the user base for it is having, you know, a devoted user base of people around the world that can... Manually. Uh, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, just finding uh, the track list in the description of a SoundCloud upload, yeah. or in many cases, it's someone shazamming the tracks and trying to figure them out. Right. Um, then the, the beauty of the site is that one person can add the track list, and then from there, it's editable. So if someone oh. else knows one or more of the tracks, they can kind of help fill it in, or if a track gets released three months after the set, someone can go in and edit That's it cool. after the fact. That's cool. So do, um, you, so do you have like a full team? Or so any, any user can add a track list to the site, or...? It's a carefully managed credentialing system. Right. Okay. So if it's a, a brand new user that wants to start adding track lists, their ability to do that is going to be pretty limited. Mm -hmm. Like they might be able to add track lists, but not edit track lists. And I have a relationship, you know, in some form or another with most of the core user base. Yep. And so I know who I can trust and who then can have the ability to, let's say, edit track lists of a particular genre or maybe all genres and from there it's you know once people gain familiarity familiarity with the site and i can trust them then we kind of increase their ability to interact with the site that's pretty cool so uh, what i love about the site is you know obviously you can find dj sets from any famous dj set around the world but it's really cool isn't it for discovering new music as well because you know if you go and listen to an hour song playlist or something you might not listen to the whole thing but you can scroll down and kind of see what your favorite dj's playing and kind of get a feel for it and the good thing about uh, the site is you've got access to kind of direct spotify links and and soundcloud links things like that haven't you yep yeah we've got it all aggregated and you know we add as many links as we can through a combination of automated and manual processes and kind of leveraging the user community uh a lot of the artists themselves also kind of take ownership of their profile on oh, the site cool. and understand that it's a really good place for exposure. Mm -hmm. If you've got all your track data in there, if you've got, if you, if you've got a radio radio show and you're uploading your own track list and kind of making sure it looks right and gets uploaded as soon as the show airs. And so over the years, that's one area that we've really seen the platform grow is just the amount of engagement at the artist and industry level. Yeah. Like you say, great, great exposure, great promo for their, new tracks, upcoming tracks, things like that. Um, how, you do a lot of exclusive mixes and interviews and things like that with artists. How does that come about? Do you approach them? Do you, they approach you? Collaborative? It's a combination. Yep. It, it's funny. That was actually one of the first things that Jacob and I started doing when yep. we got actively involved was artist interviews. 
and we would seek them out. You know, we, we would you know try to have content for the site, and we thought it was pretty cool that we can go and get like you know free tickets to a concert and get to go behind, to go backstage and sure. meet an artist and do an interview. And then it got really overwhelming because we were doing way too many. We were doing them all audio and then transcribing them. And that's like a ton of work compared to just an email interview. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's kind of a combination of uh, the, the exclusive mix series that is like really carefully curated. Sure. Um, where we're looking for the biggest artists we can find or sure. people that are really kind of trending in that regard. Um, but then we've got our Spotlight mix series. We've got an Apple Music mix series. And we do interviews as well with lots of big uh big name artists and up and coming artists as well that's cool um so what is kind of the next step what is happening this year for 1001 tracklist is it just continue to grow and give fresh content and things like that is there anything new happening yeah so really soon in the next within the next couple of weeks um we're launching a new feature which is going to be advanced search filters. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you'll be able to search for progressive house track lists from 2019. Oh, nice. Or even like summer of 2019, um, maybe like only live sets. You'll be able to kind of filter down to a very specific subset yep. to be able to, you know, really like find something specific that you're looking for. So that's going to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some plans for. We've we've done in, in last year we did kind of a design update, yep. and it was maybe more of a stepping stone on the way to a bigger design update, and so that's planned for us to dive into soon. I'm not sure uh, when that will be ready, and I'm not going to commit to a certain <laughs> yeah, time, sure. but it's it's coming up for us to at least be doing the work um, to implement the designs that we have, and the designs that we have are, are pretty cool. Uh, very much modernizes everything yeah. that's there. It's not such an easy site to present in a sleek way, given all of the functionality all of the on the data site. data and all of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. But if you, if you look at the old versions of the site from maybe six or seven years ago, you'll see that where we are today is a totally different place from then. And I think that within the next couple of years, we should continue to be taking steps in the right direction with that. No, that's amazing. Yeah, like like I said, the the main thing with like our students and we we upload you know mixes every week and it is, it is that thing of you know what track is this you know what id you know one minute in and that's you know that is kind of the pain point and the problem that you guys are trying to solve pretty much every day and it's amazing that you've got this big user base haven't you that can request you've got a discord that people can request um track list for and things like that haven't you so yeah we've got a really active core user base of essentially just fans um, that, you know, really care about contributing to the platform, being part of the the user community um, and making the site as comprehensive and accurate as possible. And then, like I mentioned before, there's so many artists themselves that are contributing. um, And that's that's something that just continues to grow by the day. People that are reaching out, asking to get credentials to upload track lists. One thing to note about the artists Mm -hmm. is that in order to have track lists on the site, you need to have three tracks on the site and support right. by at least three artists or one track with support from at least 10 different artists. Okay. So that and just now like that of credibility, of a, right? Yeah, we're creating kind of like a baseline threshold of relevancy sure. so that I, as a bedroom DJ, can't just start spamming the site with track lists. Sure, yeah, just give that extra bit of credibility. That's amazing, yeah. man. Like I say, that's great. Like I say, the people, are, are kind of followers and, and our students are always on the hunt for new music and track lists. And this is just kind of a one-stop shop um, for that, isn't it? So 
It's great, man. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to me today. And yeah, we'll continue to be using this because it's a godsend for me, especially over the last kind of 12 months. So yeah, thank you for speaking to us today, Evan. And I'll let you get off. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Lawrence. No problem, dude. Thank you, man. Bye. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you again for listening. Remember, if you want to learn some new DJ skills, just make sure to check out our website, wearecrossfader.co.uk. We've got all sorts of DJ courses that are specific to different pieces of equipment and different softwares, from Recordbox to Serato to Tractor to Denon equipment. We've got genre-specific courses, such as how to mix hip-hop. And then we've got the DJ Hub, which is a membership area, which has loads of advanced tutorials in there, how to level up your social media and some mini courses really to take you on your DJ journey beyond just the basics. So make sure you check out wearecrossfader.co.uk. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you all and hear you all in another episode very soon.